a Rwandan citizen or a Kenyan would be surprised by how informal the Ugandan network is. I mean, the Ugandan political system. So, I mean, in Uganda, uh, virtually anyone, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to meet the, the, the president. It's not, uh, and Museveni himself tend to be much more informal than, uh, than his peers. I am Dickens Olewe and this is the second episode of my interview with veteran journalist Charles Onyango Obo about the East African community as it marks its 20th anniversary this year. If you have not listened to the first episode, please do before you listen to this one. So Charles, in our last episode, you spoke briefly about the emergence of what the East African newspaper called the Coalition of the Willing, which included Rwanda, Kenya, Uganda and South Sudan. Could you talk a little bit about how this nickname came about? After President Uhuru Kenyatta was elected in 2013, he, um, you know, it's, and I think for him it was, uh, how, how does he define his stall in East Africa? And uh, he set out to, to, you know, to, to give some impetus uh, to, to the regional integration project. So, um, from my understanding, initially, he just um, called a meeting with President uh, Museveni. And um, President Museveni, at least this is what President Kagame told me in an interview, then called uh, President Kagame and says, you know, uh, we are meeting in Entebbe. Um, these are President Uhuru's idea. Do you want to be part of it? So, I said, you know... Um, this is interesting, and that is how uh, Rwanda gets on board. And at that time, it was a play on, uh, on I think it was President George Bush's, uh, uh, you know, uh, coalition of the willing, uh, you know, idea. And so they said, okay, because the Tanzania was seen as a reluctant uh, partner in the ESE, and uh, Burundi was also, well, in Burundi's case, it was more paralysis. So I was saying, you know, these three are the willing guys. So, you know, the name came up as the Coalition of the Willing. And uh, so on the back of that, they then put together a series of around, uh, you know, technology, um, you know, fiber optics, um, infrastructure, railways, and then... Uh, they started looking at uh, common services. And the one which remains their most successful one was the East African tourist visa. So if you are coming as a tourist to any of those three countries, you get one tourist visa and it will take you to any of them. And to, I think the last, uh, the last uh, figure which, uh, which was put out they were claiming that anything up to 600,000 people had come through the region, uh, or at least the three countries on that uh, tourist visa. Now, th- th- uh, you painted a really nice picture there about the energy that uh, President Uhuru Kenyatta brought and what was happening in terms of these leaders trying to get uh, themselves to working together. And then a Westgate attack happened. And you, in your article, you say that there was a shift and suddenly there was a rise of the security establishment in East Africa. Uh, that network r- rose and the economy um, took the back banner. Uh, could you just uh, uh, talk a little bit 
about that? First of all, you have to look at the Pan-African picture. Um, the way the African Union uh, security architecture is, it's kind of divided in, uh, you know, in the regions, you know, um, central, southern, west, um, north, and that kind of thing. And uh, and um, I think it started with uh, it started with uh, with George Bush and grew into the Obama period. The idea was that uh, they would work together with the you know the Americans and I think the British and create these rapid response brigades, which would intervene when there was a big security crisis in the region, rather than waiting for the UN or, you know, uh, you know some benevolent uh, NATO power to intervene. So as a result of that, they, they have formed a series of brigades. And, you know, the most advanced of them is actually the East African Brigade. So on the back of that, Security cooperation had really grown very, very deeply amongst the security agencies, and uh, a lot of it was built around the threat of Shabab and other extremist violence actors in the Horn. So when the Westgate uh, attack happens in 2013, the, it, it's, um, there was you know, um, all of a sudden this, the security agenda was the main one and it became the main basis of cooperation between uh, these, uh, you know, the East African partner states. But the perhaps even a more tragic element of that is that um, it involved uh, an attack on what you could call Somali capital because there was this sense that uh, um, part of the Al-Shabaab network was somehow embedded in the in Somali businesses. So it, it, it led to a crackdown which actually led to the crippling of uh, certain financial institutions, particularly in Kenya, which were linked, you know, the Somalis and even certain sectors of the economy like construction so it's you know the emotion and uh, and the legitimacy of the securocrats and their uh, imprint on uh, collective regional policy became the dominant preoccupation and in that sense the more economistic um, aspect of uh, of uh, of the east african project did actually suffer and it included even some restriction on on free movement because all of a sudden depending on your religion and you know your nationality there were a series of people who started facing a lot of difficulties now we, we I, I want us to uh, in the ne- in our next episode we'll dive in uh, really really deep on the uh, al-shabab and its effect in the region um, i want to talk a little bit more about uh, we talked about this yesterday and uh, about kagame so he joins the, uh, the African Union uh, you know, in 2009 and has suddenly become a very central figure. And I just wonder, you know, ma- many people 
you know, when he was ascending to power, probably looked at, you know, the easiest comparison about how he came into power was probably Museveni, this revolutionary leader who led this insurgency and came to power. But suddenly, if you're looking at them, uh, in 2019, he suddenly has a different aura about him. I mean, what what is it about Kagame that he, even with his that small, with a small economy like Rwanda, seems to be the one that is shaking and shaping the region? Uh, one one is just I think that um, Rwanda was a special case. It's basically a country which rose from the dead. So he is he is uh, he became the first leader actually who who exhumed the country from a grave and uh, and gave it life and became a model in uh, in some respects but but then also um there was uh, what i think uh, some uh, uh, is it alex vine at Ch- chatham house described as the kigali consensus because what was the kigali consensus the kigali consensus in many ways, it was an extension of the Meles Zanawi model in Ethiopia. The, you know, these uh, um, leaders who have uh, a revolutionary background, they come to power and have a very aggressive vision of a development state with limited civil liberties, and then they actually make it uh, work. and. Uh, and and so, just just from just a, a philosophical, a political philosophical mindset, there was an interest in this whole uh, Kigali consensus and this uh, uh, model uh, of um, of Kagame. And then, of course, three he he he, he there were certain what you'd call very an uh, African thing, you know that that how do you organize for example, um, your city. And, and, and you know, there were certain things like uh, how clean is your city and how green, how do you attack? I mean, for example, if you see uh, Rwanda's reforestation program, it was at one point, I think, the most in, uh, in numbers term, the most impressive in the world. So I think it was in that, that context in which then people get uh, begin to get very interested in him, and uh, then uh, you know uh, they had gone basically walked from their border to you know for months to Kinshasa and overthrown uh, you know the Mobutu Sese regime. So I think that it was those series of factors which allowed him to to kind of uh, be seen by at least his supporters. As uh, as an exceptional figure, of course, his critics just saw him as probably the worst, the worst possible example of what they call the authoritarian baggage. So it, it's I think it's it's, it's 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 those series of factors. Now we talked about the diplomatic standoff between Rwanda and Uganda uh, in uh, our earlier episode and. Uh, the other thing that I, I found really interesting, and I just wanted to hear you talk a little bit more about it, uh, was how you described uh, Museveni. Uh, you said that it is worth noting that Museveni has a pan-African side to him that sometimes can act as a moderating influence on his behavior diplomatically. Um, you know, there are many people who will be looking at uh, Museveni. You know, he basically 
shoot straight, straight talking uh, politician pretty much means what he says, but uh, you're saying probably not. He is actually, um, if, if you would say in a, he's a conviction pan-Africanist. I think he does actually believe in, a, in a, you know, a united Africa. He believes about, his, you know, um, that Africa can bring some important goods to the global table, that it has been marginalized, and that its rich history and uh, even current experience um, are unique. And um, he sees a lot of commonalities. This is a guy whom, in uh, in the 1996, in fact, you know, Museveni initially didn't even espouse an East African community. He was espousing a uh, uh, community of East Africa, you know, a confederation of East and Central Africa, because he thought that East Africa in the present form of the ESC was very narrow. And you can see what he did in Somalia and, you know, both, you know, uh, he, you know, he, he, he actually has that, that side of it, but it is a contradiction because particularly in domestic uh, policy, and in terms in which he situates his own um, place in the leadership. So he, if, if, uh, if you look at, for example, his present contest with uh, Kagame, in many ways, whereas he believes in that pan-African thing, he also sees himself as the person who should be at, at the head of it. And you even saw when Gaddafi was still alive, they were very close friends, but but publicly he disagreed with uh, Gaddafi's attempt to become the king of Africa. I think it's probably a role which is so more suitable to people like him. So whenever, you know, whenever he gets into a situation where he's taking action, which will make him look like he's attacking the whole pan-African idea and, you know, ta attacking other African, he tends to go away, you know, to kind of step back. In fact, today in Nairobi, he is giving a speech at the Kenyatta University and he's talking, it's a, it's, it's a big speech on African integration, you know, the pan-African dream. So, th so that has always been both a source of what motivates him, but also a source of what pushes him into some very wrong-headed actions. Uh, what about PM Kurunzinza? I mean, uh, casual observers would probably say that whenever you you hear news about Burundi, it's always very inward-looking, and not necessarily about the um, stretching out its arm to neighbors and doing these joint pro projects and visits. Um, I mean, what would you say about him? Where does he fit in all, in all this? Um, no, in fact, that is uh, that is a correct uh, uh, reading. But it is uh, it is it. The I think it has something to do with uh, with the history of Burundi, because you know, in terms of the ethnic politics of the region and of the country, you know, it wasn't until about fourteen years ago that what you would call um, you know, to see hegemonic rule ended, and uh, and for uh, 
for a very long time, you know, the opposition um, to the Tusi hegemony had been organized in very local and very, very parochial terms. But the old um, kind of Tusi elite in Burundi, it was, it, you know, it had to be regional because it was a minority and for it to survive and have the network necessary to keep power, it had to have a broader view. And in many ways, uh, Kuruziza is still a product of that opposition tradition, which has historically been very parochial. The, the other interesting uh, bit in, in your article was, uh, uh, this was in reference to the uh, 2017 uh, Kenya elections and the accusations uh, by elements within the Jubilee Party that uh, the Tanzanian president, uh, John Magufuli, was supporting Raila uh, Odinga, the opposition leader, to, in, in a way, ascend to power. And you say that, you know, it's, it's first of all, it's, it's quite a, a, a startling and surprising accusations, uh, but you say that this suggests connections that we often don't see in public politics. Yes, and, and uh, you, you know, because for a very, very long time, you know, the, the DNA of the ruling Chama Chama Pinduzi, CCM part in Tanzania, has always been the anti-Kenyan, no, 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 not anti-Kenyan, anti-Kenyan establishment, because it was seen, the Kenyan establishment was seen to espouse uh, a very uh, predatory, man it man system as uh, as Nyerere called it which was anti you know um the antithesis of tanzanian own soft version of socialism and much more egalitarian approach to economics so uh, it's it's so so first of all as uh, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's really unusual to imagine uh, that uh, um, you would have a CCM leader being accused of supporting anyone in Kenyan politics, because if you think of it, Raila Odinga might be in the opposition, but in the broader picture of Kenyan politics, he's pretty much part of the Kenyan establishment. Now, why did we miss that? And I think to the, you just have to go to Mwanza because Mwanza is, uh, you know, this, you know, it's it's on the leg side. But what has happened is that both for years in terms of culture, the music and things, that broad lake region has has established a very different kind of connection to Kenya, um, which is, you know, very close, you know, particularly to the lake region of Kenya. And they and their own long history of marginalization uh, created a kind of um, you know um, solidarity with what they saw as the marginalized lake regions of Kenya and all that kind of thing. So I think that that is where that comes from. And if you go to Mwanza, it is really remarkable. You know, in some ways you feel like you're in Kisumu. So I you know I think that this is just surfaced because Magufuli is from the hinterland and uh, so he represents that kind of um, lake uh, victoria uh, political 
uh, you know, ethos, which has very, very close links to the, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Western Kenya politics, so to speak. My last question uh, for you, Charles, is I actually want to go back to um, this diplo- diplomatic standoff between Uganda and uh, uh, and and Rwanda, and there was this letter that uh, Museveni wrote to uh, Kagame, explaining, uh, you know, Museveni Kagame has actually been complaining that uh, Museveni is uh, working with uh, uh, people who want to uh, undermine his government, and Museveni has obviously been rejecting those uh, accusations. But then this letter. Uh, which part of it Museveni was saying that he accidentally met uh, one of the people that uh, Kagame was a bit concerned about. I found it quite uh, startling that uh, uh, it was actually published. Um, I mean, what's your reading on that? Some people saying that Museveni was, had actually lost the, um, uh, you know, this battle of, of wit uh, and uh, the letter was, uh, is a sign of capitulation. Um, I wonder what you think about it. I've got that same reading. I mean, a lot of people are surprised that he would uh, he would even acknowledge, yeah, um, you know, meeting uh, um, these uh, these opponents. But in many ways, it had been taken out of his hand because when these things broke out, um, all of a sudden there were. Uh, I think there was this case of this Rwandan who the Uganda had denied that they knew about him and then he was produced in a, he was produced in court and accused of illegal trespass and that year he had apparently been held since December and that one of the women Museveni uh, said he met I think uh, in, you know the Rwandese and other people in Uganda had leaked photos of her Ugandan passport uh, already in the media. So I think that he basically had no choice but to say, okay, I have, uh, you know, I have uh, I've met her. But, but, but perhaps it shouldn't be surprising because um, I think uh, probably Kenyan, you know, uh, you know, East Africa, uh, I, I think a Rwandan or a Rwandan citizen or a Kenyan would be surprised by how informal the Ugandan network is, I mean, the Ugandan political system. So, I mean, in Uganda, uh, virtually anyone, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to meet the, the, the president. It's not, uh, and Museveni himself tend to be much more informal than, uh, than his peers. I mean, it, is, it would be very surprising if you were a small dissident or something, Ugandan dissident, in in, uh, in Rwanda and you go to meet Kagame, you know, it's just not set up like that. Or or or, or you are a dissident in, uh, you know, a minor dissident in uh, in Kenya and you get to meet Uhuru uh, Kenyatta. The politics of these countries are not set up like that. But Uganda's is, you know, it, it's, that is the way Museveni operates and in uh, domestically, it has been a source of his strength. So, from that point of view, I wasn't surprised that he had done it. What was more surprising that he had admitted it, and I think that your reading is correct that there was pressure. They could no longer uh, run away from the question that he had had contacts with. Yet, Rwanda refuses to 
um, do a victory lap, uh, you know, from uh, at least the uh, subsequent, there, there was an article in the Rwanda Times that I read, which there was a doubling down and telling, basically saying, you see, we've been telling you that uh, President uh, Museveni is working with the people uh, we have concern about. So I've, I've found that really interesting. Yeah, you know, the guys in Rwanda are not prone to a lot of political drama. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. In the third episode, we will look at how the Al-Shabaab militant group in Somalia and regional conflicts have helped to promote solidarity in the region. If you have any comments or questions, find me on Twitter. My handle is at Dickens Olewe. Until next time, bye-bye.